So Psalm 90, and in the Church Bible, that's 599, page 599. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to seventy years, or eighty of our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendour to their children. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And that was a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Before we get into uh, looking at God's word, let's just pray. Father, I just uh, want to thank you for the service that we have had so far. We thank you for the opportunities that we've had to worship you, to sing your praise, to give you glory, to recognize who you are. Father, to come as a group of your people, as a fellowship, as part of your wider uh, body, to bring prayer to you, to bring petitions before you. Father, thank you for hearing your word just now. Father, we pray that as we come and look at that word and look at what you have to say to us, uh, that you we pray that you would speak to us. Father, as John has encouraged us to have our ears attentive to you and our minds open to being changed by you, we pray that that would happen uh, as we listen to your word, as we go from this place thinking on, on it, in your name. Amen. So Psalm 90. Um, I have to say I've struggled as I've um, looked at this this psalm and and studied it over uh, recent weeks um, to fit uh, what God seemed to be showing to me into any kind of structure or theme. Uh, There were too many. Uh, God's word is definitely rich, and um, so this, mo- uh, this evening we're going to basically just go through the psalm one verse at a time, uh, and we're just going to make some observations about those verses. 
there are some overarching themes. Uh, we get to see God's sovereignty as Moses reflects on uh, the sovereign God. We get to see a little bit of Moses' understanding of God's relationship to man, to him and to the people of Israel, particularly with regard to the nature of sin. But it also uh, shows us how man responds to God and what God's, uh, man's nature, man's relationship with God should be. It's titled The Prayer of Moses, The Man of God. Uh, one question that uh, can come up is, was it really Moses of the Exodus? Well, uh, there could be some question marks on that. Uh, but this, this psalm is entitled The Prayer of Moses, The Man of God. Uh, that title is used a number of times in relation to, to Moses. Uh, most particularly in Deuteronomy 33, uh, in Joshua 14, verse 6, uh, when uh, he's talking to Caleb, uh, 1, 1 Chronicles 23, verse 14, uh, when the sons of Moses are of Levi, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 16, when it talks about the law of Moses and refers to Moses being the man of God. And again, in a similar fashion in Ezra 3.2. Also, there are a number of themes that come, come out of the, the psalm that best suit Moses um, of the Exodus. And uh, so I think we can be fairly certain that this is a prayer of Moses. The man who led the Israelites on Exodus out of, Israel, out of Egypt and eventually to the promised land, although he was not allowed to enter. When did Moses write this um, prayer, or pray this prayer that was written down? The nature of the prayer would lead one to, to assume that it is later in life. A number of the thoughts that are reflected um, would fit somebody who has had plenty of experience at life and in life. And a number of um, scholars would, would suggest that um, it's sometime in the latter part of the Exodus, maybe after the um, events in Numbers 20, where you've got the death of Miriam, the death of Aaron, and uh, Moses' um, failure when he struck the rock at Meribah, um, against God's wishes, uh, which resulted in him not being able to enter uh, the uh, promised land uh, at the end of the Exodus. So let's have a look at, um, start looking at this, this psalm. I need to get this the right way around now. Right. There we go. Hopefully that's not too small. So, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Moses starts with recognizing who it is he's talking to. Seems to be a fairly sensible place to start a conversation. 
And he recognizes particularly that uh, the word that he uses here um, is Adonai, the sovereign Lord. He's not talking about uh, the Lord, the mighty one. He's not talking about the judge. He's not talking about uh, a God of love. He is specifically looking at his sovereignty, his master, the one that he serves, the one that has authority, the one that uh, has uh, complete control, the one that is worthy of praise and honor. He then says that the Lord has been our dwelling place. I found this quite interesting. Um, When we think of the events of the Exodus, we have the tabernacle, where God came and dwelt amongst his people. The temple, later on, was where, and the Holy of Holies, was where God dwelt with his people. When we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of him dwelling in us, with us. God coming to us. But Moses turns this on his head in this psalm. We dwell in God. We dwell with God. He is the place of our belonging, our home, where we are present. Those words will bring up all sorts of pictures and images, and I think all of them reflect the nature of of what Moses is talking about. And he goes on to say throughout all generations, this isn't just a dwelling place, God is not just a dwelling place for the here and now. It wasn't just for the time of the Exodus. Eventually, after the Exodus, there was the temple. And as we know as believers, At the time of Jesus' crucifixion, the uh, the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And we now are able to have the Spirit dwelling within us. But it's not just for now, for us. It's uninterrupted since the time of Adam and Eve. God has always been our dwelling place, the dwelling place for humankind, for those that he has created. Verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's being, his very existence, is more permanent than the most permanent things that we can experience. Imagine Moses leading the people of Israel out from Egypt, across the Red Sea, through the desert of Sinai, through the mountains. Think of the countryside that he would have seen, that he would have been in front of his face every day for those 40 years. The most permanent things that we can see, that we can experience, the very fabric of the world around us, is nowhere near as permanent as God and his being. 
Furthermore, that God's nature is unchanging, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity in the past to eternity in the future. God is. You are God. There's a flavor there of Moses' experience before going to Egypt to call his people out. When he met with God and the burning bush, where God revealed to him to him his name, I am. These are lessons that Moses has learned over experience. And he's reflecting on that experience and what he has learned. God's nature is unchanging. And he is beyond any permanent structure or fabric of time and reality that we can experience apart from him. Verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. Moses here reflects back, I think, on God's judgment on Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19. We are made of the dust of the ground. And we return to that when we die. That happens at his direction, in his timing, and the manner which he chooses. Death should not come as a surprise to us. Knowing God and understanding who he is helps us to understand that actually that time of death, the manner of our death, is all in his hands. Verse 4. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Our view of time is so different from God's. A number of writers talk about the poetry that Moses writes with, and so so many of these ideas are so well put in, 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 in the poetry. A thousand years, roughly 13 lifetimes. I have to get some maths in here somewhere. A thousand years is roughly 13 lifetimes. How many, li- how many generations can you, do you know in your family history going backwards? We don't know very much about history beyond maybe four generations, five generations, unless we're into our family history. That passes for God like that. In fact, so much so that it's like a day that's just gone by. It's already happened. It's already done with. Our perspective is based on our experience of time and our experience of reality. Against God's perspective, that pales into insignificance. How often do we live our lives according to our own perspectives 
we complain about God being slow, about God being um, about not doing anything, not responding to us when we want him to. But God's much got, got a much bigger perspective than we have. Verse five. Yet you sweep people away in the de- in the sleep of death of death. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. You would think maybe that with God's understanding of the briefness of our time span and the length of his perspective, that he would give us more time. But our perspective does not bring additional respite from God's judgment. Compared to God, we are sweepable. I couldn't think of a better way of putting this. Verse 5 just gives me that impression of somebody sweeping the leaves, the dead leaves, off the yard. Not in the sense that those leaves are pointless and worthless, but just the comparative natures of the one doing the sweeping and the leaves. And then I I found it interesting as I looked at this that Moses talks about the sleep of death. There isn't a finality about this verse other than our understanding of death. I think here there's a, a, a recognition that our physical death is not the end. It's not the end of our experience and it's not the end of our position before God. And then the second half of verse 5, they are like the new grass of the morning, into verse 6. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. Moses continues to develop this thought with new images. New grass in the morning, fresh, standing upright, tall. Our lives start with vigor and promise. Maybe our best years are in our youth. But by evening it is dry and withered. Its end is consumed by the environment that it finds itself in. Going through the desert, grass doesn't last very long. Plants don't last very long. If there's moisture in the morning, the plants will spring up, but by the end of the day, it's gone. This isn't a a grassy field in in wet Wales that's there the next morning and the following morning after that. Moses would have seen this happening day in, day out, as he and the rest of the people of Israel travelled during the Exodus. Our lives start with vigour and promise and our end is consumed by the environment in which we find ourselves. Verse 7, we are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. God's reaction to our sin 
is anger and indignation. Now many of us will be familiar with God reacting in anger, with wrath to our sin that so offends him. Indignation is that uh, an emotion that we would expect God to have to our sin in response to our sin? What's the effect on us? The effect of his anger is that we are used up. We are consumed. There's nothing left but maybe ash. And his indignation? Terror. We are overwhelmed by our resulting future, or at least our imagined resulting future, when this righteous God, this sovereign God, is indignant with us, we are terrified. We are overwhelmed by what might happen, what should happen. This is something that Moses has seen throughout his time on Exodus. Think of Mount Sinai. We heard not too long long ago. I think it was last week, I think. The golden calf. And I think the golden the the, the particular uh, incident with the golden calf demonstrates God's indignation that a people who have promised to serve him and honour him would go to somebody else or something else. Wouldn't you be indignant? Verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. In the first part of that verse, God examines our sin. I almost imagine God sort of picking up our sin and setting it on the table and just looking at it, studying it, considering it, judges it. There is intention. It's not he just happens to glance over. There's no sense of, oh, I just happened to spot that. He is actively looking at it, considering it, judging it. And in the second half, there is nothing that we can hide from him. Our most secret sins, particularly, are in the light of God's presence. If God is absolute in every sense of what is good, then his light is absolute. There is no darkness that can hide from it. The darkest places are fully lit. And if we think back to how Moses started this psalm, recognizing that he is our dwelling place, it's very difficult to hide anything from him if we live in him.
Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. There is no escape from God's response to sin. The result will always be an expression of despair, of suffering, of a desire for something more. If God is king over the world, if he is the all-sovereign one, the all-powerful one, if he created all things and oversees all things, we are also under his wrath. And as a result of the Garden of Eden and, and, and uh, Adam's fall, we are constantly under his wrath. There is no escape from his response. And our response will always be an expression of despair, of suffering, and a desire for something more. Because we know that life should be better. Verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Our days come to 70 years or 80 can, is often uh, talked about. Uh, discussion is had as to whether this means that when we live beyond 80 years, whether uh, the Bible is wrong. This is talking about a normal lifespan, what would be considered to be in the general ballpark of a normal lifespan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80. Our days may be what would be standard for one of ma- a member of mankind, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. The periods of our lives that seem least t- troublesome, most productive, most rewarding, they won't last long. Moses has experienced this. He's seen others experience it. He can observe that those periods that seem best won't last long. They will not provide anything beyond our death. They quickly pass away and we fly away. We can't take anything with us. We don't take our relationships on with us. On our deathbed, there is nothing to take. There is no experience that will do away with the trouble and sorrow that is the result of living in a fallen world. Verse 11, If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is is as great as the fear that is your due. If only we knew the power of your anger. I get the feeling here, Moses, Moses is saying, some, surely knowing what we face, knowing who you are, knowing just how angry our sin makes you, that will help. Some, surely in there somewhere, there is something that will help us. 
And in one sense, the second half of the verse gives the answer, but it also gives the answer in a way that makes it impossible to achieve on our own. God's wrath, which Moses has just spent verses describing and observing from his experience of the people of Israel traveling through the wilderness, well, that has to equal our response to God, our fear, our honor, our praise of him. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, that is impossible. And I think Moses recognizes that that is impossible. He's just talked about how his wrath is actual. It is felt. It is experienced. And yet, the fear that is due to God is due to him. It's not given. It's not already being provided to God. It's what he is due, but not what is being given to him. Verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses is moved in this latter, these latter verses of Psalm 90 into looking at, having, having observed all of these things about the sovereign Lord, about his total superiority to mankind in every way, having observed the nature of man's sin, God's response to our sin and our response to, 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 to God, our ability to combat our own sin, he moves into asking God, pleading with God for a number of things. And the first of them is, teach us to number our days. Teach. We need to learn. We need someone to teach us. The sovereign Lord should be our teacher. Moses wants the sovereign Lord to teach him, to teach the people of Israel, because they need to learn. The people of Israel keep forgetting that. They keep on having to learn the same lessons time and time again. Moses knows that they need to learn. They need to learn to number their days. We cannot predict our death. But we need to live in the knowledge of it. And we can't figure out, oh, we're going to, we're going to die on this particular day in 350 days' time or 10,000 days' time. But we need to live in the knowledge that our time on the, in this world is finite. We need to know why it is finite. It's finite because of the effect of sin. It's finite because of my actions and my inability to live as God wants me to. And why do we need to number our days? Learn to number our days? 
so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. A heart, a right response to God is a heart response. And what's the wisdom that Moses is looking for? The result of our understanding our situation and responding to it in a way that honors God. Responding to the Lord. Asking for his forgiveness. Asking for his redemption. Asking to be brought out of a life of slavery to sin. Just as in the Exodus. And ultimately to a life living in paradise. Living in the promised land. There'll be an exodus between us, between those two. But that is the wisdom, that knowledge and understanding. Verse 13. Relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Understanding our need enables us to seek the right solution. And the right solution is mercy. Mercy from the Sovereign Lord. Relent, Lord. Have compassion. But it must include the appropriate approach. Servant to Lord. Verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. This reminds me a little of manna. Satisfy us in the morning. Through the whole time of the Exodus, God provided, first thing in the morning, manna. Like dew in the morning. Manna that was enough for each day, that satisfied them in a way that the food in Egypt that they hankered after, or complaining that they didn't have any more, couldn't do. It's not about surviving. His love is unfailing. His love can satisfy if it is sought. If we will go out of our tents and collect it, or seek after it. That joy and gladness will be the remembrance of our lives. That's why we want to be satisfied. Verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. Moses looks to the future. But he's also looking back. He's seen the affliction and trouble that the people of Israel have experienced. The deaths as a result of rebellion. The battles they faced with the people of the lands that they have passed through or around. The constant judgments that God has specifically given out to his people for their rebellion, for their stiff-neckedness. That affliction and trouble has been at God's hands. But so is potential gladness. 
if God can give judgment for his people's failings to honor him and to serve him faithfully, he's also able to give gladness. But it comes at a cost. And it comes at the cost of being faithful. Of living as God intends them to live. As God intends us to live. Moses is asking the Lord, the sovereign Lord, will you be as generous in giving us gladness as you have been in giving affliction and trouble where it is due? Is that a prayer that we can ask, pray? Verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Moses looks to future generations. He knows that the generation that rebelled and were banned from the promised land will die before they return to cross the Jordan. He himself is banned from entering the promised land. He's looking to the future generations. What will help the future people of Israel? How can they learn what they need to of their God? To serve him faithfully, to honour him, to do what the people so far have struggled to do. Let us know you by your actions. Let us see and experience your judgments. But let us see and experience the fullness of who you are as well. Let us see the sovereign Lord at work. Help us to understand who you are and what you require of us. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Finally, verse 17. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a bold desire that Moses has. May the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. That indicates that our actions that the actions of the people of Israel, that the actions of Moses and the leadership that will come after, that their actions may be pleasing to the sovereign Lord. That the sovereign Lord would receive from them what is his due, which we've already seen is far beyond what we're capable of. That the blessing of that pleasure then remains with the people of Israel. And this impression of resting on us brings to mind for, to mind for me a picture of a chair. That's where you rest, where you sit down and take the weight of your feet. where we find our, ourselves comfortable. 
that the blessing of that pleasure may remain and find us comfortable, that it would be pleasing for the favour of God to rest on us, because what we do makes him comfortable, makes it comfortable. But particularly in a way that what we do is of such worth to the sovereign Lord that it remains in place. That's an ambitious prayer. That's an ambitious plea. That what we do would be so honouring to God that it remains. That it remains fruitful, that it remains usable to him. So Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, a man of God. I wonder whether we could pray the same prayer, whether we could understand and reflect and observe the same things. What about in our own lives? What about those requests, those pleas, those desires that Moses expresses in those last few verses? Can we pray, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom? Can we pray, relent, Lord? How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Do we want to pray, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days? Can we pray, make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble? Do we pray for ourselves and the generations that will come after us, for our children? May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Are we willing to play our part in doing that? And finally, have we got the courage to pray, may the favour of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let me just pray. Father, your servant Moses, a man recognised as being of you, had the courage to pray that prayer. 
had been shown by you through so many experiences the true nature of you as sovereign Lord, the true nature of sin and the world that it affects around us and the way in which it affects your people. Father, we pray that something of what Moses knew, what Moses felt, what Moses observed, what Moses desired for himself and the people of Israel, both in his own time, but also in the generations after. Father, may something of that uh, be laid on our hearts this, this evening. May you continue to help us to consider it and work out how you want us to put that into practice in our own lives, what that looks like on a day-to-day -day basis, that we might be more and more reflect you in this fallen world. And Father, may you establish the work of our hands. In your name. Amen.